Hi everyone and welcome to New Hope Church. We're so glad that you're here. My name is Ian Buckley and I'm the founding pastor of New Hope Community Church. Some news right up front for next week. Next week, the 18th, we're going to be back in person at Point View School at 9.30. We're so looking forward to seeing you and your kids. In the interim, if you've got your message notes or you haven't, you can pick them up right here down here on YouTube. You print them out, follow us along. Today, as we follow the ups and the downs and the twists and the turns of the life of a Shunammite woman and Elisha. So today, we're going to take a look at the amazing faith and the attitude. Notice the attitude in tumultuous circumstances. And we're going to spend quite a bit of time today reading the Word of God. That's a good thing to do, right? Reading the Word of God to see how God uses Elisha. Now, like you, I have never seen so many ups and downs, twists and turns of life like we've seen globally and nationally and in our own personal lives over the last six months. It was in early August, our Ministry of Health touted, yay, 100 days free of COVID. And then go to mid-August, and then we're back down to a lockdown level three. So we go from a high moment to a low moment. And friends, Christians aren't immune to life's alternating patterns. Nor, friends, were the heroes of the scripture. Sometimes we think we're the only ones to go through the ups and the downs from the mountaintop to the valley floor. But think for a moment about any biblical character that you care to name. Anyone from, I don't know, Adam to Zachariah. Each had their ups and their downs. For example, let's think about Elijah. In one chapter, we see him calling down fire from heaven on the prophets of Baal on the top of Mount Carmel. A few pages later, what do we see? We see this great man of God hiding under a juniper tree, wishing he was dead. So that's Elijah. Let's think about Job for a minute. Job, one minute we see him as a rich, respected man on top of the world, happy family, good business, and good health. A few verses later, he's sitting in sackcloth and ashes. He's mourning his family, and he's reduced to poverty. And along with all of that, he's been added some negative friends to, to add to his already large load. And then he's scraping his sores with pottery shards from the top to the bottom. And then think about maybe Joseph. Joseph is in Genesis 40, and he, this guy, he has a dream and then he's sold off by his brothers, forgotten in prison, but turned the page. And next minute, he's the prime minister of Egypt. So he's gone from the top to the bottom and then back up again. Now, think about John the Baptist. This is as we move into the New Testament. He starts preaching and he is the most successful preacher and evangelist in 400 years. He was doing great things for God. But next minute, we see him in Matthew eleven three, sending a word to Jesus through his disciples from prison saying, are you the one? Or do we look for someone else? From the top to the bottom. How about Peter in Matthew 16? Jesus heard him saying this. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father. 
five verses later, just five verses later, he hears the same voice turn to him and say, Jesus turned to him and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Let's move further on in the scriptures. In 2 Corinthians 12, 4, the apostle Paul talked about being caught up into the third heaven. Whoa! He saw things in the heavenly realm. He saw the risen Christ. Three verses later, the scriptures record he was given a thorn in the flesh. Been up. Now he's down. Lastly, in Revelation chapter 1, the apostle John had been banished from his local church and even his country. And he was sentenced to be exiled on a very lonely island on the Isle of Patmos. And you can go there today to see where he stayed. So that's, he was up, one of the Jesus disciples, actually one of the closest disciples, and now he's completely isolated. But then, by verse 10 of the same chapter, he's in the spirit on the Lord's day, and he's seeing the splendor of the enthroned Christ. So he's back up again. So here's the point. All through the Bible, that's what you see if you read it carefully. People go up and people have down days. There are battles and there are blessings. Friends have noticed that some people think that once we get saved, they have an expectation that we'll be on a perfectly smooth path and trajectory all the way till we get to heaven. No, no. With no difficulties and no dramas and no disappointments. Friends, that is not reality. That's delusional. We can see in the scriptures that the saints of God had ups and they had downs. We have our good moments and we have our tough moments. Jesus said this. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, notice this, in this world you will have trouble. That's the down. But take heart. That's up. I have overcome the world. Up. So next time you think that you're the only one who has ups and downs, just dive into your Bible again and you'll be encouraged to know that you're in very, very good Christian company. Today in our mini-series on Elisha, we're going to meet a woman who is described as a great woman. Now, that contrasts with a poor widow last week. This woman in Sherman was well-to-do and she had a husband. Yet she was also particularly well acquainted with the highs and the lows of life. In this account, Elisha travels from his headquarters in Mount Carmel to a tiny city named Sherman. Now that's a hike of about 32 k's. Now in that city, the scriptures say, was a notable woman. In fact, the Bible tells us that she was a gracious and she was a godly woman. She was hospitable and she invited Elisha and his servant into her home, into her house for some food. So it became Elisha's habit to stop there at this woman's home for food and refreshment whenever he passed that way. Let's pick this up in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. Now there came a day when Elisha passed over to Shuman, where there was a prominent woman. Now, yet unnamed, she was wealthy, and she was perceptive. She was a prominent woman, and she persuaded him to eat food. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat food. Now, as a discerning believer, she wanted to be part of the support of God's work and his word. 
And that's a heart that pleases God. And it should be our heart too. This woman had discerned Elisha's need and her responsibility to the prophet. So she was blessed to be a blessing, as we've talked about. After some time, the Shunammite woman talks to her husband and makes a suggestion. 2 Kings 4, 9 and 10. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. Actually, that reminds me, my father in the faith, Juan Carlos Ortiz, who grew up in Argentina, they had a prophet's chamber uh, that his mother made for visiting ministers. Actually, it used to be Juan Carlos's bedroom, so he used to get the couch. And he's often told me that he learned so much from sitting at the feet of some of these teachers and leaders. That's where this tradition began, way back here in 2 Kings 4, and it's still the tradition in many places today. Little did this woman know that when she was suggesting this generous initiative to her husband, she had to enroll him, and she went ahead and provided this godly hospitality to Elisha, and actually Gehazi as well, that would set in motion a series of events that will bring about the greatest surprise of her life. That one decision was instrumental in her life. Now as this account unfolds, I want to share just a couple of observations and principles from the scriptures. And I'd encourage you to take notes as the Spirit directs you. The first point is this, when God delights you, enjoy him and thank him. When God delights you, enjoy him and thank him. Now after they set the prophet's chamber up, the Bible says this, One day he came there and turned into the upper chamber and rested. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call a Shumanite. And when he called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, Say now to her, Behold, you have been careful for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Would you be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the army? Now her reply was humble and brief. And she answered, I live among my own people. So the woman didn't need the help, is what she's saying, of the king or the commander of the army, because she and her husband had everything they needed, and they were content. They were content with their lot in life. She built the accommodation freely, not expecting anything in return. It was to be a blessing. So when he asks her, what can I do for you? She says, I'm good. I'm all good. And that's a great attitude check for us. How often do we do things, and hidden often we have an expectation from God to reward us. It's almost like a transactional Christianity. Now later, Elisha asked his servant Gehazi to see if there was anything else they could do to bless this woman for her hospitality. So the servant, I guess, observes and suggests, well, she has no son. And the husband is old. Interestingly, though, she hadn't complained to Elisha about that sensitive issue. So Elisha called the woman back to his room, and as she stood in the doorway, the man of God prophesied an incredible blessing on her future. 2 Kings 
4.16, the first part. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. Two specifics there. About this time next year, and two, it will be a son. Now at first, the Shunammite woman responded in unbelief. No, my lord, she objected. Don't mislead your servant, O man of God. What's going on here? Well, she was concerned that Elisha was getting her hopes up, only to have him dashed again. Many times, I'm sure, she would have hoped she was pregnant, but nothing. Hope, nothing. Hope, nothing. And what had happened here is she'd probably come to a bit of a piece about that. She's saying here, don't tease me. This is sensitive. Having a child was a dream that she'd probably given up on and she'd come to peace with. Every woman in Israel wanted a son because to be childless back then had serious implications. So she had a mixture at that point in time, when Elisha brought this up, of apprehension. She probably remembered some of the disappointment and there was a fear that her expectations would be let down again. But sure enough, just as the prophet had pronounced, and despite her doubts, she became pregnant. And a year later, she gave birth to a son. Just like God had promised, he's the source, through Elijah. Now this reminds us of a theme that runs all the way through the Holy Scriptures. That barren women who miraculously give birth to children. One of the first ones will be Sarah in Genesis. She was nearing a hundred years old and she gave birth to Isaac. And when then we meet Rebecca, who was childless through 20 years of marriage until Esau and Jacob were born. Then comes Rachel, who remains childless all through an almost soap opera-like scenario until at last she gives birth to Joseph. Then if we go to Judges 13, we remember the memorable scene and we meet Manoah's childless wife, who becomes Samson's mother. Then we have Hannah, who arrives on the scene in 1 Samuel 1. Out of her tears and her angst and prayer comes Samuel. Then let's move over to the New Testament. Then we see Elizabeth, well past childbearing years, miraculously gives birth to John, John the Baptist. And of course, it all accumulates with Mary's virgin conception and the birth of our Saviour. Now, interestingly, though, the miraculous conception recorded for us in 2 Kings 4 is an outlier. It's different from all the other accounts in the Bible in one significant way. Here it is. In all the other cases, the child becomes an important figure in Israel's history. But the Shunammite's child is comparatively insignificant. Certainly not a leader. In fact, we don't even know his name. So what's the point of that? The point is that sometimes God just surprises us with gifts. They're not a stepping stone to something greater, but simply because he wants to bless his people. Sometimes God just blesses his people. And what a blessing that is. Isn't that the truth? Have you ever experienced an unexpected, unplanned, unengineered blessing from God? You know what the Bible says about that. James 1.17 Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation 
or shifting shadow. And here's another one in 1 Timothy 6.17. Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything, everything for our enjoyment. So why did God bless this woman with a child? Well, it's not abundantly clear, apart from the fact that God wanted to bring joy to her heart. And that's a great thing. The truth is that God is good all the way through. It's his very nature to be good. He is good. He has been good. And he always will be good. He can't be anything but good. And in this life, we're going to have trials and we're going to have tribulations. And following Christ in the midst of a fallen world can be difficult and challenging. But in and through all of that, God comes alongside us with his goodness and with his gifts. And he sustains us. And he brings a smile to our face. So this week, can I encourage you to be on the lookout for God's surprise blessings in your life? And I can imagine the smile now on this woman's face as it started to dawn on her she was actually going to have a baby boy as a gift, a serendipitous gift from God alone. Now I bet if you look hard enough, you can find one or two blessings every day to enjoy and to thank God for. So, the first principle from this account is when God delights you with his goodness, enjoy him and give him thanks. And the second point is this, is when life dismays you, seek him. When life dismays you, seek him. Several years pass here, and this little family of three continued to host a prophet on his ticket touring around the circuit, and whenever he came into town. Now, one day, this woman's miracle turns into a, a nightmare. 2 Kings 4.18 The child grew, and now it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers, so it was harvest time. And he said to his father, My head, my head! So he said to the servant, carry him to his mother. And when he'd taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees until noon. And then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him and went out. So all morning, that mother tenderly held her only child in her lap, but he died at noon. Now we don't know the cause of the death for sure, but most commentators believe it was sunstroke. Sunstroke. And her thoughts, though, notice, turned immediately to the God of Elisha as she prepared to seek his help. Perhaps she was spurred on by the account of how Elijah, Elisha's mentor, had also raised the son of another lady, actually the widow of Zarephath. And maybe that fueled her hope, giving her the courage rather than just collapsing under the weight of grief and disappointment and devastation. Now, a possible indication of her thinking is this. As she took the boy's body upstairs and laid him in Elisha's room on the prophet's bed, that to me says that she was looking to God rather than putting him on his own bed, because he would have had a bed. Then she goes and she makes a plan to visit Elisha at Mount Carmel. Notice, though, her faith, her self-control, and her composure. 
2 Kings 4, 22 and 23. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys, that I may run to the man of God and come back. Guys, that's 64k round trip. Somewhat perplexed here, the husband asks, Why? So he said, Why are you going to him today? It's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. In other words, it's not church today. Why are you doing that big long trip? And she just said, It is well. They are strange words. It's saying it's okay, but they're actually words of faith in God and designed to avoid further delay and explanation with calmness and a good deal of repose. So the mother called to the father in the field and asked him to provide her with a servant and a donkey and in faith, trusting God with all of her heart because she ain't got nothing else, she kept the child's death a secret. She'd been promised a son when she was barren. Fact. And now she remembered. She remembered that. And tenaciously held on to that promise, even though her son, her little son, lay dead on Elisha's bed. Fact. So her faith in God convinced her that somehow Elisha could again be instrumental in doing the seemingly impossible. Elisha previously announced new hope of life for her who had no hope of producing life. Perhaps, she's thinking, he could do it one more time and God would give life to a son through Elisha. And it's a beautiful picture of hope in the midst of absolutely the most devastating situation you could ever wish to find yourself in. Now notice the words, it is all right, she said to her husband. She said that knowing full well that their boy was gone, but the God who had given her the promise wasn't gone, and she knew he would not forsake her. The fact that she was leaving perhaps suggested to her husband that the boy was safe and he was just taking a nap. No doubt, she also had at the back of her mind, if her husband knew the guy was dead, he would instantly action a burial because nobody kept a corpse around in the house in the hot harvest season. 2 Kings 4, 24. Then she saddled the donkey and said to a servant, Drive and go forward and do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the Shunammite woman arrived at Mount Carmel after this 30-odd K journey from Shunem, she was met by Gehazi, but she refused to be delayed by peripheral explanations to Gehazi, and she breezes clean past him and goes directly to Elisha's house. And there she pours out her heart to Elisha in bitter honesty. 2 Kings 4, 27. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet, and Gehazi came over to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said. Didn't I tell you? Don't raise my hopes. So when Elisha first promised the Shunammite son, she doubted him, remember? Saying, no, my Lord. O man of God, do not lie to your servant. So naturally, when her son dies, she confronts Elisha with his past doubts. Did I not say, do not deceive me? 
It actually takes a great amount of faith to deal with our doubts rather than just sweep them under the carpet and pretend they don't exist. And that may be easier, but if we do this, we'll never grow in our trust in God's word and him as a person. Instead, when we acknowledge our doubts before the Lord in confession and pray, he loosens their power over us and he deals a death blow to our enemy who wants to derail our faith. So she lays down some very quick rapid fire questions. And we often do the same thing when things are not going well. Question, 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 question. And then we often blame others, right? See, it's difficult to imagine all that Elisha felt at that particular moment. He had tried to bless this woman and honor this generous woman with the blessing of a child. Now his compassion seems to have turned into cruelty. And the text actually tells us that Elisha the prophet was bewildered. And he said this, basically, the Lord's hidden from me what's going on. And he's not told me. So the point is, Elisha had no idea what the Lord wanted him to do, nor what was going to happen. And things were confusing because he clearly before had heard God's will to bless this godly woman. Now, like Elisha, often when we sit out to help others, we bump into problems that are too confounding for us to handle. We haven't got a clue and we become aware of our limitations. Can you relate to Elisha as he set out to help this woman? I sure can. See, even in these uncertain times that we live, we would do well to follow Elisha's lead. As one author I read this week reminds us, he said, Elisha shows much wisdom in dealing with this distress. He didn't have an answer, and he was honest about it. Some Christians assume they have a gift of always knowing the solution to all the distresses of other people, and they would do well to catch Elisha's humility and just be quiet. Often we don't have a clue about what God is up to in some believer's trouble. How freeing to confess, God has hidden it from me and is not informed me. So if you think Elisha is in the dark, think about what she's feeling. She's super disappointed. She's devastated to be given a son and only have him to take away from her. So what do we do when we are dismayed and disappointed in the ups and the downs of this life? Now at that exact moment, when that happens to us, we're standing at a fork, a crossroads. And we can choose one path that's going to lead away from God towards bitterness and hopelessness. That's one alternative. Or we can turn to the only source of hope that moves us towards him. And in the end, ends up clearly with a healthier soul. So when dismaying and devastating things happen in our lives, many people have a misconception that, well, if I just understood why... This is happening. The reason behind my pain. Then it will make my ordeal easier to bear. Friends, I actually believe that kind of thinking is wrong. When things go wrong, what I tend to do and have found helpful to me is not to ask why, but Lord, what do you want to teach me in the midst of this? Friend, you don't need an explanation at that moment. You need strength. You need stability. You need a savior. You need comfort and you need support and by the way God doesn't owe you or me or Job an explanation for anything God doesn't have to check in with me or you first before he does something he's God and I am not 
God doesn't have to get my permission or your permission before he allows things to happen in your life or mine. God is God, and we're not always going to understand why something's happened. But one day, one day, everything is going to make sense. Until then, like this God-fearing Shunammite woman, we have to learn how to trust God in devastating and difficult situations. So don't let life's disappointments distance you from God. Let them drive you towards God and take your bitterness and your disappointment to Him. The Bible says in James 4.8, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And as you draw near to Him, you will come to trust Him in a new and deeper way. So let's recap. When God delights you, you enjoy Him and you thank Him. When life dismays you, the biblical counsel and the encouragement of the Spirit is to seek Him. And then when God delivers you, do not forget to thank Him. That's point number three. When God delivers you, don't forget to thank Him. The story isn't over. When Elisha heard the woman's complaint, he immediately sent his servant Gehazi to Shunem. And when Gehazi arrives at Elisha's guest house, he lays Elisha's staff on the dead child, hoping to revive him. But there was no response, nada, no life. Moments later, the prophet Elijah and the woman arrive back and listen to what happened next, 2 Kings 4.33. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, eyes on his eyes, hands on his hands, and stretched himself out upon him. The flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. So in this case, God heard Elisha's plea for help and the boy was miraculously raised to life. And I think that the writer of Hebrews had at least this case in mind when he wrote of the Old Testament saints, Hebrews 11.35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. So after Elisha raised the boy from the dead, he called a Shunammite woman into the room to witness what had happened and then to receive her son back from the dead. And verse 37 tells us how she responded to all that had happened that day. She fell at his feet and bowed before him, overwhelmed with gratitude. That relates to our point. Then she took her son in her arms and carried him downstairs. The Bible says she was overwhelmed with gratitude. And often when we pray, something like, well, Lord, we need some help here, whatever it's about, and we'll be careful to give you thanks for your answer to our prayers. But how many of you actually know that we don't, we're not very careful to do that? Too often, we take the answer, thank you very much, and we just get on with our lives. This woman did not do that. She knew that Elisha had been God's connecting point to her, and that she overwhelmingly was grateful, and she expressed her thanks. So here you have it. You have, first of all, the delight, then you have disappointment, and then you have deliverance. What an up and down. What a roller coaster ride this woman had. Very similar to the woman at Zarephath, which I previously mentioned, where Elijah had also raised that woman's son. And Luke 7 also records another widow's son being raised by Jesus in Nain, and that's only about 10 k's from Shunem. Like all these three women, we too can say, though, 
O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Now, friends, not all situations resolve themselves as we would like in this life. But one thing we do know is that something greater than our temporal disappointments and trials awaits us in Jesus Christ. So no matter what you're going through today, rejoice in Christ for the resurrection guarantees your future is sure. Whether or not we are delivered here and now, someday we will be healed completely from the brokenness of this world. Actually, he says, I'm going to create a brand new heaven and a brand new earth and a brand new body. And we will rejoice in the new heaven and new earth, where Jesus will be our light forever, where the splendor of his perfection and there'll be the restoration of all things. It was paradise lost in Genesis. In Revelation, it's going to be paradise gained, where sin and its effects will be no more, and your pain and suffering will be wiped away completely for good. And finally, you'll come into the presence of Jesus, and you too will be able to say with this woman, It is well with my soul. One of the hardest things in suffering is remembering. Because the most glaring, the most urgent thing is right in my face. And it doesn't seem to be good. When our trials consume our attention, our hearts tend to become distracted from how God has worked in the past. And we forget that. And that leads us to fret and forget. And this is why it's important also to remember his faithfulness. Then you too will be able to say, it is well with my soul. Let's bow in prayer. For some of you listening today, you've experienced some very challenging ups and downs. And some of you, despite praying, despite hoping and dreaming, Life circumstances have turned out very differently than you expected and you're disappointed. You may not like what's happening and you certainly have given up trying to understand what God is up to. Nevertheless, I want to pray for you today that like this faithful Shunammite woman, you will be honest about the pain in your life and bring all of your disappointments and distress and confusion to God. Father, I pray for each dear soul that would find in you a resting place. Thank you that you are our eternal hope. In Jesus' precious name, amen. God bless you. Remember next week, looking forward to seeing you at Point View School, 9.30. Also one verse which has been an absolute lifesaver for me. I just want to share with you. And that's from Romans 12, 12. It says this, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. God bless.